0: Hey, welcome to the Jerry Gherkin Show, where we get our kicks out of watching people succeed. I'm your host, Jerry Gherkin, and that time is now. Today, I have a very special guest, a uh, close friend of a long time. He's a, an author, playwright, poet, professor, father, husband, and a Hall of Fame wrestling coach, John Jeffire. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Jerry. Yeah, it's always good seeing you. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, old friends, It's there's a song out there by, I think, Luke Bryan. It's Hard to make old new friends so uh but it seems like anytime you and i get together it's just like time is is not elapsed it's just we can just pick right up where we left off and it's always good seeing you and talking to you
1: likewise likewise
0: so a little history lesson um when i was in the marine corps i I came home on leave for 30 days and um was going to go to embassy school and uh, some buddies of mine from high school were wrestling at Finley College at the time. And so I came down to Finley College to uh, just to stay in shape and hang out with them. And John was coaching at Finley College at the time. And uh, I had a heavy weight that I think I had kicked the crap out of pretty regular. And, and uh, you asked me, hey, do you ever think about wrestling in college? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to, but I got three years on the books and because I had to extend my contract, well, then I found out that uh, your, your, your time freezes, you told me, that uh, your time freezes, eligibility freezes when you go in the military. So I could be 30 years old and come out and still be a college freshman. And so that got me to thinking, and I called a buddy of mine in the Pentagon, and uh, long story short, we were able to uh, get out of the contract. And then I, I came to, uh, to Finley College in, uh, after Desert Storm in, in uh, January of 91 of and uh, wrestled for you.
1: We're glad you made it back, Jerry. We're glad yeah, you right. made it back.
0: But uh mm-hmm. yeah, you're you're uh it, it was kind of cool because your dad, Tom, um, was actually I communicated with him more than than you uh when I was in the Marine Corps and then ended up staying with uh your mom and dad, Tom and Josie, Jeff Iyer, in their uh their apartment. Uh, the first two weeks I got back. So um your your family uh was very, very instrumental with uh, getting me to here and then obviously meeting my wife and Uh, to the point where I'm at. So I'm eternally grateful for that.
1: There's a, there's a big story there that it's, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yep. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your, your books, um, especially the one um, it's Motown burning. Uh, How did you, uh, how how did you come up with this idea or where did that, where did that start and give us a little background about it?
1: Yeah, it started with, Stories of the Detroit riots in 1967, I was a little kid then, and I remember uh, we were living in Dearborn, and the mayor of Dearborn uh, shut the city down, brought in the National Guard, and I remember being a little kid and seeing the uh, tanks and the troop transports driving by, and then later on, I, I, I didn't understand it at the time, what was going on. And then later on, you learn the whole history behind it. And I would talk with uh, my mother and father and relatives. And Detroiters all have a story about where they were when the riots broke out. And I started to listen to more of those stories. And I was thinking, you know, nobody's written about this in depth. Nobody's tried to capture what that moment in history was like. And I thought, you know what, let's, let's quit talking about it and let's do it let's sit down and write and and that was the the backstory was to try to give life to all these stories in this time period and and make them vivid make them real
0: so that's a, um, I guess my follow-up question to that you almost answered but maybe you give me a little bit more um so what what is your um what do you want people to take from that book when they read it
1: well, I, I guess what I'd like is, uh, one of the greatest compliments that that I can receive is that somebody from Detroit says, you know what, uh, I remember this that you described in the book. And I was here. I was, you know, 12th and Claremont. I was, uh, you know, hanging out on Joy Road or whatever. And I remember that. And for me, that's, that's something that... Uh, is is exceptionally rewarding. The other part would be is that I want people to know about this era of history. Uh, in 1967, Detroit was emblematic of all the strife that was going on in the United States at the time. From you know political tension, racial tension, economic tension, artistic tension, all of it was right there embodied in Detroit when the city erupted and It's, it's one of the most seminal historical events in American history. And you ask anybody about it and, oh, I never heard of that. Or go to, go to kids in high school and it's not in their textbooks. And I, and I can't believe that that's not there, that that's not a part of it. And, um, so I'd like people to know the history. I'd like them to know the the human side to this and, um, uh, maybe investigate more and try to learn more about it.
0: So then I also read that, um, and I didn't know this, that uh, you made the book into a play. Is that, is that what I was understanding?
1: I, I've, yeah, I've adapted it in, in a number of different ways. And I, I've got a screenplay out there too. And uh, you know any movie makers out there, Jerry? <laughs> I, I, hey, I, I got a script here just uh, waiting for somebody, but uh I want to, I want to see the story be told in a, in a lot of different ways, and and it was done as a, a staged reading at Oakland University, um, uh, a stage adaptation of it, and you know, it's out there, and uh, it, it's something I'm committed to. Awesome.
0: <clears throat> so um, let's switch gears for a second. Um, you you are currently uh, teaching high school, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, valley yeah. High School.
0: So you're. Uh, we talked the other night, and uh, you you had quite a an insight on on uh, maybe some evolution in in education. Um, you know how how your current platform is and what you're doing and and some of the, how some of the positives are coming out of it. Uh, some of the students, uh, if you can just speak to that.
1: Yeah, I I hope that this is the impetus, this this crisis that we're currently in and, and, uh, you know, uh, managing and coping with and uh, trying to push through. I I hope that it's the impetus for a lot of changes and I think that it's uh, exposed a lot of weaknesses in education, that we can be more efficient, we can be more effective, we can help kids learn uh, in a more productive manner. And and, um, what's happened is that I'm doing all my classes online. And I've had a, a nice response rate, probably at least 95% of the students, despite all of the, the, the challenges that are, that are entailed in this, have been making contact with me. And we stay connected and they're turning work in, and I'm able to make comments on it. And I, I think what it's showing is that these kids don't have to be in a brick and mortar building five days a week, seven to eight hours a day, uh we could do i i guess what i envision would be some kind of a hybrid where they would maybe come to class for three days a week and then they would work from home and they would they would uh, pace themselves they would work when most is convenient for them like all of us jerry and you know this uh some of us are morning people some of us are evening people some of us we have that uh lightning strike that epiphany that occurs and if you're stuck in a building and you're stuck in a classroom and you're sitting in your science class and all of a sudden you get a great idea for your English paper. You're going to get yelled at if you start working on English in your science class and that just doesn't seem right to me. So I, I think if we would allow more freedoms for kids to explore on their own. Um, I think there would be tremendous advantages. So I'm really hoping that this can open the door a lot of this has been done already hybrid classes so it's not anything new but it's not anything that's been done to the level i think it should be done or can be done so right yeah
0: so when you get emails from people um in referencing your your books uh or your your poems uh give us some feedback on what people are saying about about uh, your your stuff that you do
1: uh well, uh, hurry up and die and never write again. That's 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 one uh, that's one end of the spectrum. Uh, but on the other end, uh, I, like I said before, is if somebody says, you know what, I experienced that, or you know what, I know what that's like, or I saw that, or that same thing happened to me. Um, I, I think that's about as big a reward as, as you're going to get, and and that's always uh, heartening to. To be able to get feedback and say, okay, well, I think I'll keep doing this. Um, a lot of writing and uh, personal expression, that it, it almost seems to take place in a vacuum. You're in there by yourself. And that's how I liken it to wrestling. You know you know this. A lot of your training is by yourself, that that extra road work you put in, that time in the weight room, um, the time that you spend preparing your diet. And all that stuff that happens away from the training room or you know when you finally step in the circle to compete that's the tip of the iceberg what people don't see is everything underneath that that went into that final seven minute performance or or whatever the time frame is and and that a lot of that is true of writing you you might see the book but you don't see quite literally the years that went into making that uh, object possible and um I think the disciplines are very connected in that way. Let's uh, <clears throat> talk about wrestling. What's some of your
0: uh, fondest memories? I mean, you, you started wrestling at what age? How old were you?
1: I, I, was, I was a late starter. I got pulled out of a gym class, and uh, the uh, gym teacher said, you're going to go out for wrestling. You're, you're basically, uh, you're ornery, you're annoying, and you're small. This is a sport made for you. And I kind of took those observations as compliments, and um, <laughs> I thought, okay, I'll I'll do this. And uh, I went to where th- th- this was in uh, Michigan, uh, Metro Detroit. We didn't have a wrestling mat; we had those accordion mats, the the, the tan and blue, uh, match of Velcro together. And it, it wasn't really wrestling. Nobody knew what they were doing. The the coach never wrestled, and he learned some moves out of a book. And we just basically went down there and, and did like a, a kind of controlled fighting. Uh, but I went down and into the basement, they they pushed all the tables back. They they hooked up all the accordion mats. And I'm looking for the turnbuckles. I'm looking for the ropes and the, you know, the mass, you know, when do we get our capes and stuff like that? And they're like, no, 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 that's not what this is. I'm like, well, I was pretty disappointed, actually. And, but I stuck around and, and, uh, it, it um you know how wrestling is it gets in your veins and you, you just there's so many possibilities there's always another challenge there's always something else to figure out it, it gets in you and you just you pursue it and then you know once it gets a hold on I me mean, forget about it you're hooked
0: and as a, as a coach and we both coached for a lot of years um i've oftentimes told my athletes that there's a lot of parallels between uh, sports and life and, and the things that you learn and you can translate over. Um, and especially in wrestling, just because it is a, it is a mano a mano. It's just you, you're not there with four other people or, or with 10 other people on the field and you can point the finger at somebody else. It's that person's fault. It's, it's you and you're a hundred percent responsible. And, uh, it's how that translates over into, into life. You know, when you have a, You have struggles with your marriage or you have struggles financially, uh, how you can draw deep inside from what you've experienced in in athletics to uh, to bring yourself out of it.
1: Well, I I pick up on the one word that you use, and that's responsibility, that you learn how to be responsible. And if we're going to carry this over into life, um, you know, right now, my wife, as you know, is is very ill and uh, she's had uh, five brain operations and is incapacitated and that responsibility falls on me to care for her and i I would have to say that that has been made possible by wrestling and when when you know how to like you're saying dig deep when you know a lot of wrestling let's be honest it's not fun it's it's brutal it's um monotonous uh you're, you're walking around injured basically all the time. Uh, there's all the other stressors, though, you know, for those of us that were back in the big weight cutting days and, and uh, everything else. But it, it teaches you how to endure that and push through and and keep mentally focused on a prize. And for me right now, my prize is my wife's health and keeping her alive and, and healthy. And I, I, I really don't think I'd be able to do it had I not had that training uh, in my past as a wrestler
0: yeah so what's some of your uh, favorite favorite memories uh, as a as a college
1: coach <laughs> i some of those aren't repeatable here um you as you know you you deal with a cast of characters um and you know i for me the memories are not so much uh, the victories or the championships. I mean, those were all fun and those were great, but it's it's definitely the people, the relationships, uh, as I said, the characters. I mean, you and I both, the people we got to meet, people like Miran Karshalava, I mean, my world has been made richer for all the people that, that have uh, uh, passed through our lives. And, and like you said, it can be twenty years. You bump into each other and you pick up right where you left off. And and yeah. for me that's that's really been the the greatest gift of of being involved in the sport is, is definitely the relationships.
0: So I remember one story and and since you don't coach for the University of Finley anymore, I'll tell this story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oops, uh, uh, yeah be, um, be careful. There's a statute of limitations maybe on some of this stuff. So <laughs>
0: No, it was, uh, we were coming back, I think from Slippery Rock and we were in two vans and, uh, you and Kurt were in one van and we had Ron Hodge was driving our van. <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah. You
0: remember that one? Uh, and we, we lost you guys on purpose so we could,
1: cause mm. we were coming
0: back and we stopped off and got some adult beverages. We were all old enough, you know, but we, <laughs> and then, uh,
1: that was down to Tennessee.
0: Was that Tennessee? Okay. Yeah, it
1: was Carson Newman. Carson Newman. All right. Yeah. So, oh, trust yeah. me, I remember this. And one. it was
0: it was Steve Donat's fault that we got busted because we stopped at a roadside rest and he had to pee so bad he climbed out the back and that's where we were throwing all the empties and the. So, so
1: Donat's the fall guy for this one. Yeah, man. yeah, okay. he, he yeah. All right. But I remember you you coming
0: on that bus and you said if I had a baseball bat I bust all you guys' heads right now. It was just like what are you guys thinking? You know, he could cost me my job, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just as, as you know, the tip of the iceberg for the ordinary guys that that you were around for a lot of years.
1: Well, if you remember that next morning, we had a very early, uh, wake up and, uh, workout, um, (laughs) just to commemorate that, uh, that darn Steve Donat making that choice for all you guys, <laughs> holding that holding that gun to your heads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: No, he was the reason we got busted. <laughs> but no, that that's just one of them. I mean, there's so many stories, and,
1: um... and that, it, you know, to me, that that is priceless. I mean, I, like I said, it, it I wasn't happy about it at the time, but as I look back, yeah, uh, those are the stories I remember. Those those are always just a ton of fun.
0: And a ton of stories from uh the Oiler Pizza Pub, which uh your mom and dad were great and always so supportive of, of you and the program. And uh I think ninety percent of the employees there were were wrestlers.
1: And and I, I think at one time or another they all got fired too by my dad. <laughs> so uh they they have that in common as well. Yeah. Yeah, we we, we talk about uh, you know the family. Um and I, I say hi to Jack Alcon out there. I see he's uh He's uh, he's out there in the in the nether world, but uh, good to have him aboard. Um, you know, it was uh, like a family environment, and you know, we got involved in uh, each other's lives way beyond the wrestling mat. And uh, rewarding now, I've been able to uh, you know see guys get married, start families, have kids, guys go into coaching, and and that friendly crew. You know, how many guys now are lawyers and yeah. guys that have gone into medicine, guys who have gone into coaching, uh, exceptionally successful people. And I'd like to think that wrestling had something to do with uh, helping them find that path to success that, that has made them now, you know, great fathers, great teachers and, and businessmen and the like. Um, that, that's been really rewarding. Yeah, for sure.
0: I was talking to you the other night and I was telling you, I want to share with the listeners um, about some of the best advice I ever got. it was from your dad. Um, it, it was funny with, with Tom, if, if uh, you wanted to get some free beer, all you have to do is start talking political conversations with them. <laughs> and he would make sure that your, your Mason jar, which that's what they serve the draft beer in uh, was always full. So it, I was talking to him one day and I was, I was in a, uh, assistant coach at a local high school and I was I was whining to him about um, how this coach, this guy didn't he never wrestled in in high school or college and he's trying to tell me what what we're supposed to be doing and the the advice that he gave me was you know take away the things that you like that this this man does and discard the things that you don't and as you interact with different people throughout your life, whether it's in the business sector or, or it's coaching or personally, um, that's going to make you who who you are, that human being, because you're going to you're going to take things from other people that you like and you're going to replicate those and and uh, carry those through. But stuff that you don't like, just don't do so that that is stuck with me for. I mean, that was twenty five years ago.
1: No, well, like you say, that's not a wrestling issue, that's a life issue, that's a business issue, that's a personal relationship issue, and, and uh, as far as coaching goes and, and teaching too, uh, the stuff that really worked for me, I, I've tried to adapt it to steal it, what, what have you, however you want to describe that, and the stuff that didn't work for me really turned me off, that taught me too, that taught me what I don't want to do, and it was valuable. Uh, and and all none of that experience is lost. And I think you kind of when you describe my dad, I I, I think uh, Tom Clark, the late wrestling official, uh, he said it best. He said it's it's the only place I go uh, to be insulted by the bar owner, uh, and he gives me free beer for doing it. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was kind of how my dad did business. Oh you
0: know? yeah, he he just uh, he wore it on his shirt sleeve for sure. He. There was no filter. You,
1: you, you didn't worry. You didn't wonder where you stood with him. Yeah. No,
0: never. Well, I'm, I got a few final questions and wrapping up and then uh, we'll get um, some information out to listeners to know how to get a hold of you. And I'll see what I can do about getting a movie producer for you, too, John. I'll expect
1: something by the end of the week. Jerry. All right. We'll work on that. I got a yeah. few days.
0: <laughs> um, what, what have you done uh, to stand out in business and life? What would you say?
1: I think for me. Uh, If I had to maybe sum that up is uh, I put other people first over myself uh, I tried to, um, and I tried to make the focus on them. Uh, And I think when you do that and you put your ego aside, and it's not that we don't have egos, but our egos get maybe fed in different ways. Uh, Mine was not. By a spotlight or a craving for a spotlight but it was it was seeing these other people uh, achieve that that really was rewarding to me and I think that the more that I experienced other people's success uh, the more it fueled me to try to make that possible for even more people and it, and it just then becomes an ongoing cycle of uh, You know service to others and and, you know sometimes you can say well that that comes from a a maybe religious background and the idea of uh self-sacrifice putting others first um and, and maybe that's true maybe that is true but um i think that for me was maybe the greatest impetus to try to keep doing what i was doing is that i was seeing other people uh live out their dreams and and uh fulfill their goals that was a that was a rush that that was not, you can't put a you know and you know in, in wrestling coaching you ain't gonna make any money you're not right. you don't do it you don't do it for the money so that that to me was that was cash that was that was my that was my reward
0: yeah i think we share the same same thought as far as uh in the intro of all my shows i talk about i get my kicks out of watching people succeed and that's i think why we we got into coaching why we're teachers and that's my that's my life word up on my vision board as teacher because i find myself in any any arena in conversation i find myself trying to improve other people um and and just giving insights and and wisdom if if you can see that i have any wisdom but (laughs) but uh No, and and also uh, kind of springboard off what you talked about is uh, if if you help enough people get what you want, you're going to get what you want, get what they want. You'll get what you want. So if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want. And I think what we do as coaches and teachers is is it's not like you said, self-serving. We're trying to serve them by sharing with them and helping them find their way to whatever their success is. And that's the rewarding part of it for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we uh, we won a small college national championship in 95, but from that group, um, you know, how many of those guys, I mean, number one, every single one of them earned their college degree. Uh, they have gone on to careers. Uh, they're family people, they're fathers, and, um, you know, you take the trophies, you take the awards, the... You know, the medals and all that stuff, that ends up in a box in the attic somewhere eventually. But that stuff, that lasts, that doesn't, that can't be taken away. And if you can pay it forward and, and uh, I, you know, I, to me, it gets into the idea of the self-made man. I'm sorry, I don't know any self-made men. I don't know anybody who didn't have a great parent, a great coach, a great teacher, a brother, a cousin, uh, a friend who didn't help them get somewhere. Who didn't show them uh, a path, and I'm not self made, I, I can't claim any. Uh, you know, I did this all on my own. You know, that's 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 a lie. I've had a ton of great people. We were talking the other day, uh, Jerry, about you know being privileged, and I, I'm as privileged as it gets. I, I, I'm the product of so many great people and so many great influences who helped me get where I wanted to go. I couldn't have done it without them. And, uh, you know, so many unsung people, you know, somebody like Kurt Leonard. I mean, what a magnificent person. Uh, I, I couldn't have gotten where I did as a coach at Finley without him and without people like you and the people that trusted a, a coach who had no track record, no, didn't have any clue what he was doing. But, you know, you guys put your trust in me and it worked out for all of us and that's uh, i mean how does life get better than that
0: yeah you made me think of uh, another little memory we were in the uh we were in the gym and we were running and uh, this talk it, what i'm speaking to is is how you you protected us as athletes um because there was a custodian
1: oh, I, think I remember this that, one. Was, that <laughs> was
0: given that was giving us some raspberries and and you got in his shorts and and it was all out of it was like the papa bear came out to protect his cubs because he was giving us some raspberries about what we were doing but you you definitely stood right up and you defended us and so that that memory uh speaks to why we were so dedicated and and respected you because we knew that you had our
1: back well that's yeah and i and, and you had mine and and the older I get, I'm hoping more people have my back and defend me. <laughs> I sure as that can't defend myself anymore. Yeah. So uh, maybe it'll come around when I need it.
0: I'm as good once as I ever was. Once.
1: <laughs> we didn't talk about your episode at the uh, Ashland Open. Oh,
0: jeez, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. College senior captain guy tried to dig my eyeball out and I socked him, and got kicked out of the tournament in front of a bunch of freshman parents. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was, uh, that was not one of my best moments, but if it happened again, I probably would be react the same way given the circumstance, but
1: well, like I said, I, I think, you know, we, we saw it all in, 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 from all the different angles, like you said, senior captain and here he is, uh, clocking this guy but it also sent another message and that is you know if you want to fight dirty like that th- there's going to be a repercussion and, and you were winning that match you know going away that but we also said it was a learning moment because the only way he could beat you was to get you rattled to do something like that and he did and it was a good lesson you know for everybody to see and that is you know you got to you got to keep your composure and, uh, even somebody as seasoned as you were, I mean, you, you've been around the block, you wrestled, you know, the all Marine trials, et cetera. And, uh, you know, had a, a wealth of competitive experience that even the most seasoned of us, uh, you know, we got that one place where somebody wants to push that button and we're going to react. And, um, You know, trying to, you know, number one, locate that trigger and then make sure nobody ever puts their finger on it. I mean, we all have to do that. You're talking about getting life lessons. There are students, there are bosses, there are, you know, people I interact with that they're they're getting close to that trigger. And I have to learn how to push them away from that, diffuse the situation, not escalate it. And, um, you know, that probably served you you know, as a coach later. And uh, I I told you the story that that directly uh, impacted Muran later because the only way anybody was gonna beat him, even though he was wrestling two weight classes over his head, uh, was to try to, you know, get him to lose his cool and lose his composure. And that, that actually happened in a meet. And he, he socked this guy, he clocked this guy. And we you know he kept saying oh he was doing this he was doing it and kurt and i were like that's absolutely true yeah he was doing all those things you still can't punch him because in the american system you lose the match then and and it it kind of was uh and then when we got the nationals that's exactly what the majority of his opponents did they were they were gouging his eyes they were headbutting him they were putting that collar tie on with a few extra inches of uh you know boom when they were bringing that thing in and he figured it out that way and um it helped it helped
0: and if you i don't know if you remember but i i paid attention to that guy the next match he wrestled again he did the same thing the same thing but he got kicked out that time right all right okay so you you
1: go but you know what after you did that i went to that referee and i also went to the head referee i said you know what you got a guy here in this tournament and it was actually that whole team, a team, unfortunately I went to work for, <laughs> for a few years. No, Michigan, no is that? Yeah, oh, I didn't hear that. But yeah, anyways, uh, yeah, they were coached by a notoriously dirty competitor himself. <laughs> but I went to the ref and I said, you know what, this guy has been doing this and this is on you guys. And if he harms it, and he actually, as you mentioned, he, he did scratch the cornea of your eye. That's how deep those fingers were going in your eye sockets. Um, Dude, if one of these guys gets injured, that's on you. And sure enough, the next bout, he was doing the same thing he did to you. But like you said, this time they threw him out. And if anything, that episode at least prevented somebody else from getting injured.
0: Right. So what's the best advice you ever received?
1: Oh, wow. You're, You're from all of the many many examples um well that's a tough one that 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 one i wasn't expecting um i will give you one right here and this uh, you mentioned my father he was kind of the um the uh the barstool philosopher uh, a guy who you know he didn't finish high school and, and never went to college anything like that but was one of the wisest people i met and he he told me this he said only fight the battles you can win and it took me a while to figure that one out. And there are some battles you can't win. Uh, if I think, for example, my boss has given me um, uh, an instruction that I think is unworkable, but it's his it's his instruction, it's, it's the law of the land, I can go in and fight him and uh, criticize him. I'm not going to win that battle. It's a pointless to waste my energy on it uh now what i can do is then go into the workplace and sort of kind of follow his rule but do it my way that's what i can control and then that way he's happy because he can say well he's you know that guy's listening to me i'm happy because i'm really not listening to him i'm doing my own thing but that would be a battle i can't win so it's pointless to even you know, it's like people say stuff that's out. of You have to know what's in your control and what's out of your control. And we spend a lot of time. We waste a lot of time expending energy, trying to fight battles. We can't win, change things that we don't really have the power to change. And we, we need to stay more internal. We need to, you know, uh, cultivate our own inner peace with what we can control. And I think that that was kind of his um very simple way of of trying to explain that to me and it's it's been great advice
0: yeah john g miller was a guest last week uh author of the q by qbq is the question behind the question and it's about personal accountability and um he talks about Mm -hmm. what i can do to because you can't change people but what can you do to help with whatever situation kind of summarize a little bit. But your dad said it a lot more eloquently, I, I think. But uh, uh, how, last question, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, how do you want to be remembered?
1: You know, I, I, uh, I think number one, there's maybe a question that comes before that, and it is, do you want to be remembered? And for me, that's up to other people. I, I you know, if, if I did my job right, uh, I'll be remembered in a positive way by people that I was able to help, but you know that that's up to them. And I, I think sometimes maybe that's another issue that fight the battles you can win. I can't control how other people want to remember me, but I, I can try to help them to increase the chances that they look back with some uh, with some fondness and and. That they want to then do that for somebody else because that's been my motivation. I've had so many people help me, you know, all my coaches and I I owe them a great debt. And if I can do that for somebody else, um, I I guess that's more important to me than uh, being uh, remembered in any particular way because I, that, because what will happen is that people will speak about me the way I speak about my coaches and that is they shaped my life. They made me a better person. And that's the debt of my life is trying to make that possible for somebody else.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. And you definitely have been a huge impact on my life and, and a lot of other people. And that wraps up this week. I just want to thank my guest, John Jeffire for joining me today. Uh, always great seeing you. Uh, please leave five-star reviews on our iTunes. This helps us find uh, my show. Give my Facebook page a like, Jerry Gherkin at taylorkia.com. And remember, yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Tune in next week. I got a very special guest, Major League Baseball pitcher Jerry Blevins will join the show. Have a great day.